we started a series last week called The Well and um, talking about living out of a deeper source. Before I even start, I thought we'd... Um, who, who practiced... Anybody pr- try practicing silence this week? Anybody? Yeah? Good. A couple of people? Cool. Anybody totally flop, feel like it was really, really hard? No? <laughs> okay. Good, honest people. That's good. So what we'll do is actually in a couple of minutes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to try and just practice it together, but I'll, I'll, in, I'll introduce it in a moment. All right, let's get, let's get started. Sweet. Um, all right, I'm going to start with a story. Sounds good? I have often shared about my dad in, in the past here, and I want to just share a short story that really helps us jump into this, this morning's theme. My dad, for a season of his life, uh, suffered uh, physically quite a lot. And um, that suffering was a long season that, that led to uh, actually something very difficult where he had to amputate the, uh, the bottom of his, under his knee and uh, remove a growth that was taking place. There was something cancerous there. And this was a long season, like five or eight years before or more that led up to this. And it was interesting because people would notice that my dad had this resiliency to him. He had, you know, kind of like exuded strength and courage, and he was still able to pastor and speak and teach and lead. And people would often ask, well, what is it? Like, what is this person drawing from that enables him to move forward in this way? Like, what's this person drawing from? And it was interesting because even after, like, after his recovery and rehabilitation, uh, he, he started to share some of the deep well that, that um, was part of his journey. And during his two-month rehabilitation, he was in a home rehabilitating after this physically. And, and it was awesome because the people in the home, the, the nurses and the doctors and the other patients in this rehabilitation home were all encouraged by, by my dad. He'd kind of like go and play the piano and sing a little bit and chat with people in the corners and the, in the living room sections and all this kind of stuff. And, and I was like, where is this guy drawing this from? So after his recovery and rehabilitation, he recorded a small album. Back then, it was on tape cassettes. Um, maybe, maybe it was on a CD. I don't even know. Uh, so, so there was no iPods at the time. And, uh, and really, the whole album was this. He narrated phrases that really impacted him and he drew from during this time. And these phrases were phrases from the scriptures, psalms. Uh, New Testament passages, words of Jesus, uh, different things, and there was music behind it. And so he narrated all these scriptures that God brought to his mind during this tough season. And so, and I wondered, I had this question, what would have happened if my dad did not have this deeper well to draw from? What, what would have happened in that season, an extended season, it wasn't six months, it was years, what would have happened if he didn't have that deeper well to draw from? So we're in this series called The Well, and last week I had the, the metaphor of a fridge. You know, often we say, I said, you know, some of, for some of us, the fridge is empty. There's nothing to grab from. And if we long for wholeness or change or growth in 2020, we need to find a deeper well to live from. Last week, we talked about solitude and silence. It's just the practice that we, we can glean from the scriptures of what it means to, to slow down and make room in our lives, cutting out the distractions from, for God's voice to speak. We looked at the, the life of Elijah, how God orchestrated silence and solitude for him so he could make room to hear from God personally. 
And so this was one of the wells we talked about last week, silence and solitude. Last week I shared the metaphor of the fridge and I told you how I love to make good omelets. Well, this week, well, I think they're good. Uh, so this week I went, opened the fridge because I have like, I like making eggs a couple times a week and my fridge was full. Like last week I talked about how bad when the fridge is empty and my fridge was full. Someone just looked to my wife and, and was wondering what's really going on here. Uh, and so I was able to like pull out mushrooms and, and uh, shallots and spinach and old cheddar and I wrapped it all up and it looked kind of like that. Doesn't that look good? My fridge was full. I was so happy. When I opened it, stuff was there, and I was just able to grab from it. And so today, what I want to talk about is, last week we talked about silence and solitude, a, a, a path towards a deeper well. I want to kind of start filling the fridge this week, if, if that makes sense. I want to start filling the fridge of our lives. I want to go to one verse today, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. You can go with it if you've got your Bibles or a device, or we'll read it off the screen. Colossians three sixteen. Now, to to kind of partner with last week and this week, we're going to pause, not for five minutes like we talked about last week. We're going to pause for 30 seconds. So some of you have not slowed down an ounce this week. And we're going to pause for 30 seconds just to slow down complete silence as we make room for God's voice in our life. Sound good? Let's try it. I'll guide us. You don't have to worry about the time. And as we just settle into this moment, um, part of that is, is really just a, a rhythm of even noticing uh, our breathing as a rhythm, just to pause and be quiet. Um, I often use a prayer, a short prayer, like, still my heart, God, or Jesus, free me, Jesus, fill me. So if you need a prayer just to keep you focused briefly, so let's pause for 30 seconds of silence. God, we posture our, ourselves to hear from you today, cutting out the noise in our lives and even in this brief moment of silence, that's, that's our decision to, to cut out the distractions, all kinds of distractions in our lives, to be able to listen for your voice even in the sheer silence and prepare us for this word as well. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, thanks for practicing that with me. Let's read this verse. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Here's, we're just gonna focus on one verse today, and here's, here's again, like in, we already read from Paul this morning, but here's this early church letter from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to this, this church in a town called Colossae under the Roman Empire, and this, this small church was forming and growing in the first century, and he often wrote letters to them. And so here's out of this letter that he's writing to them, he's encouraging them, teaching them, guiding them in the way of Jesus. And one of Paul's goals when he writes these letters all the time is that these early Christians would be formed by a deeper source, because their need, like probably your need and my need in our day and age, is to have a deep source to grow out of. For them as Christ followers, it was to grow their faith and their life. It was also that this new life that they discovered in Jesus, it needed fuel. It needed something to grab from. Their fridge could not be empty and then still grow. They had to grow from something. They had to pull from something. And just like you and me, our need is similar. If we're going to grow in life, live this life, grow in faith, if that's our desire, uh, and even if you're just here this morning and, and, and exploring faith for the first time, we all need something to grab onto, to grasp, to be able to grow and learn. And for these first 
Christians, it was also to withstand persecution, for wisdom to live this out daily in their context, and for us to live it out daily in our context. And their well, like an ancient kind of well that is dug under the ground to grab water from, their well was the scriptures. Their deep source was the scripture. So Paul says, let the message, or I put in brackets there, word of Christ dwell among you richly. The word is a big deal for Christians. It's a big deal in Christianity because the word we talk about is this message we get from God in his word. So, you know, I have, I have a Bible. I'll talk about this in a little bit, but we get a message from God. That's his word. And one of the clearest words we get from God that's throughout the scriptures, but then culminating in part of the scripture is Christ's word. The word of Christ is a code for the message of God for us. It's a code for the message God has given us. And when Paul even says the word of Christ or the message of Christ, he's thinking of all of God's message, but it's how it's culminated into who Jesus is and into who, what Jesus has told us. And so it includes the scriptures, but it's fully realized and clarified in Jesus. And so for these first Christians, they saw the scripture as a well for them to draw from, but the, the, where the scriptures were pointing to and the most clearest way that they understood the scriptures were through Jesus, through his life and his teachings, through his death and his resurrection and his ascension. And Paul gives us like what, kind of what they're looking for. He gives us a way to fill our, our spiritual and emotional fridge. Paul gives us a way to fill our spiritual and emotional fridge. He says, let Christ's word dwell among you richly. Or someone else translated it this way. Let the message of Christ uh, dwell among you richly. I like this way. Let it, let it richly dwell among you, meaning as a people, as a, as a community. I love that. This, this idea that, God's, that, that Christ's message actually becomes like alive among us. And then he says, as you teach and admonish one, one, one another or each other with wisdom. There's this idea that the words of Christ are also found. Look, he says, as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through what? Through psalms, hymns, and songs. To, today, we actually read from a psalm. We started our gathering with a short passage from the psalm. Louise in worship read a psalm through hymns and songs from the Spirit. In other words, somehow these songs and hymns would repeat the core truth from the Scriptures. The Psalms was a prayer book that the Jews uh, read, and we find it in our Old Testament. And so their well, this deep source that they're drawing from, that Paul longs for them to live out of, so their, their fridge, in a sense, would be full, is Scripture, now fulfilled in Jesus. And here's Paul's challenge. Paul's challenge is that your life my life and our community, if we consider even just the community that's here today, be totally influenced by the words of Jesus, be totally impacted by the words of Jesus, that, that the words of Jesus or how the scriptures culminate in Jesus become the source of everything you do and everything we do and become the life of our Christian community. And I love, I, I put it this way on the screen, to let Christ's word become the reality in which you order your life around. Just think about that for a second. To let Christ's word or message become the reality in which you order your life around. Let me just stop for a second. Think about this. What re- let me, you know, we all order our lives around something. 
In fact, most of us have a reality in which we order our lives. If we have a conversation long enough, more than 10 minutes, we could probably discern what reality you and I order our lives around, right? If, if, we, if we get to know each other, we, we understand it. And there's this struggle in your heart and my life, in, in our culture, what reality will order our lives what reality do we live around or order our lives around? For some people, it's a political agenda that becomes more influential than the words of Jesus, that their lives are ordered around this some political agenda. For some, it's a cultural agenda, and their lives are ordered around that. For some, it's capitalism, if we think of politics or economy. For some, it's socialism, if we think of the, the same kind of side of things or, or a hybrid of that. For some, it's sexual identity. For some, it's consumerism. The question is, and here's this question I want to ask you before we even go a step further. Which reality, and ask yourself this question, am I ordering my life around? That's a huge question. Which reality am I ordering my life around? Which reality is, governing, is the governing influence of my life? Which word, if we think of Christ's word or other words, is the vocabulary that defines your life? Because all of us have it. We can't get away from it. I mean, if we, again, if we talk long enough, we'll discover that each of us have some kind of reality that we order our life around. And, so, and here's the, the big thing I want to get to today as we, end, as we discern what kind of source do we live our lives on, and it's a simple phrase that I want to just get at. It's this. The source you dwell on is the source you draw from. The source you dwell on is the source you draw on. There's no doubt in my mind that when I uh, reach for something in my life, it's likely because I've already put that in my life. If, if I reach for the ideas that are going to influence my next decision, I've already fed and seeded those decisions and those, those ideas in my life. If, if, if the way that I'm living out maybe relationships or money or finances or my work, it's very likely that I've already kind of seeded those ideas and now I'm just drawing from it. And so this is really important. The source you dwell on is the source you draw from. And this is true for how we live, for our dreams, for our ambitions, for how we pray. The source we dwell on is the source we will draw from. And here's Paul's invitation to dwell on Scripture so Scripture becomes the source we draw from. To dwell on Scripture so Scripture is what we draw from. Because if you want to draw from something, you'll have to dwell on it. You're going to have to. We're going to have to. And this is so important for us. So maybe in a simpler way, we can say, like, what are you filling your fridge with? That's a good question. What are you filling your fridge with? Anybody know? Do you have a picture of your fridge already? I mean, just that way. But, but now, like, transform it into, like, spiritual and emotional components in your life or the ideas that influence you. What are you filling your fridge with? What are you dwelling on? And here's my main invitation today. That scripture would become the main well, the deep well that we draw from. That scripture would become this. Paul says, let the word of Jesus richly dwell among you. So what's scripture? I mean, we know that it's the Bible. Like, here, here's, my, here's my Bible. I have a few copies. And, and for some maybe people who are new today or newer to us, I know there's some guests here too today. I was thinking, well, what, is it, what does this mean? So for some people, it's like an old archaic book. Archaic book. For some people, it's just it's, they, they refer to it as a book, like if it's a novel. You know, the Bible is a collection of 66 books. 
that make up our Bible. 66 books. In fact, the word Bible is biblio. It means a collection of books or like a library. And we have things like the law, the prophets, wisdom, history, gospel letters, apocalyptic, all kinds of different styles, all wrapped up in this book. And it's a collection of these 66 books. It's God's message, divinely inspired, but given to us through flawed people. That stumps people sometimes. Because if you knew that I was the author of one of those letters, you'd probably be like, really? Did God like, give this to humanity? But the reality is, is that whether it was Moses or, or uh, David or Paul or the, the writers of the gospel, all of them were flawed. None of them were perfect. None of them were Jesus. They penned Jesus' words. Jesus didn't pen the gospels. The gospels were written about Jesus. And Paul wrote to Jesus' communities. This was God's message to us, divinely inspired through flawed messengers. So if ever you get hung up on saying like, is this perfectly, mechanically put together by perfect people? No, but it was divinely inspired by God. And the beauty of that, and I don't want to say that to minimize the Bible, but to help us get past any strange idea that its authors were perfect. And that God graciously, that's part of his mission, graciously used flawed people to get his message out to other flawed people. Right? Because we're flawed people. And when I, when I think about that, the beauty of this is, here, here's something that I, f- I feel so, is so miraculous about the Bible. 66 books, 1,500 years, 40 different authors, kind of about three different languages, and it all narrates this beautiful arching story where Jesus is the climax. I mean, if 40 of us got together to write 66 books over 1,500 years, first of all, we would never meet each other over 1,500 years. And somehow that all gets put together to tell us God's story of humanity, our value, our, and our brokenness, his rescue mission for us, the culmination of his son coming and the future that awaits us and his invitation for us to join this mission, I'd say that's like pretty impossible. And yet God used flawed people to put this together. And the scripture, when Paul refers to this, or we re-refer to it, or even the message of Jesus that is laced throughout the Bible but is fulfilled in him, and this is what we're talking about, that we would dig into this well, into this deep source. So here's my next question. We figured out a little bit. We could take five weeks on figuring out what the Bible is, but we did it in three minutes. How does scripture richly dwell among us? How are, you, how are we going to dwell on this and draw from it? Well, Paul tells us, he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell among who? What does he say? Among you. And he's not saying you individual. He's saying you plural. His first thought is he's writing to a church, to a community of people, to a group of people that are following Jesus. So the first thought of this is how does the words of Jesus and the message of Jesus dwell among us? It dwells among us as a community. Paul's writing to this local church in Colossae in the first century. And so the scripture is meant to richly dwell among his people, the church. And how do we dwell in it? We dwell by receiving it. That's what they did. I mean, when in the first century, somebody would have brought this letter to this small church community that was maybe meeting in a home or some kind of building if there were more people. And someone brought this letter and said, hey, I got this letter from Paul. We're going to open it and read it. And they read it. To these people, to them, the people that were there, these first Christ followers. And Paul's saying, imagine when they hear this for the first time, that the message of Jesus, what has influenced you and shaped you and saved you and rescued you and gives you wisdom, let it richly dwell among you. 
in your gatherings, in your midst, in your relationships, in your discussions, in your conversations. And then it was taught to, be re- to receive it. Paul says that this word of Jesus is taught and it, he teaches, it teaches and admonishes. That's the purpose of our gathering. And, and I feel weird even saying that because I'm the one teaching today. So it feels weird that I'm the teacher or the admonisher today. I, I don't know. I, I don't have any thought of admonishing someone in the moment, but, but that's the idea, right? And, so, and that's part of my role is I take that seriously, that, that my role and however we set up within our church community uh, how teaching gets done is so vital because the words of Jesus are received. They're first received, and we receive them. And in some ways, you're receiving them from me today. That's part of my role. And when we say teaching, I want you to understand this, especially if you're a follower of Christ, but even if you're kind of exploring today with us, when we teach, what are we teaching? We're teaching something creedal, and I wrote the word there, that it should, if, if you just under, under the receive uh, slide, it's creedal, it's Christian, and it's contextual. It's creedal because the church ended up developing these creeds that summarize what the church teaches. So when we teach, we teach, in a sense, it's creedal, it's the heartbeat of of Christian thought and doctrine. It's Christian because it always points to Jesus. And it's contextual because we're not in Colossae in the first century. We're in Montreal in the 20th, 21st century, right? So when we teach the scriptures, it has to be contextual. I hope that when we leave today, it helps us live tomorrow at work and at home and in wherever you live in the city. But it's also local, universal, and his- historical. When we receive the message of Jesus, we receive it locally. But sometimes you guys hear me quote uh, some of my you know, favorite authors like uh, Dallas Willard, and I'll read from him today, or Tim Keller, or N.T. Wright, or Fleming Rutledge, um, or different people. And we receive u- from universal teachers, in a sense, on the planet that love Jesus. And it's historical because... Christianity didn't start with, with Rob Briscoe. Christianity didn't start with Dave Manifold. Christianity didn't start with Victoria. It didn't start when you believed. It started well, way before you, so it's historical. So when we teach and we receive the scriptures, we receive the words of Jesus, it's local, it's universal, it's historical, it's creedal, it's Christian, it's contextual. And we get to listen to that. Like even what we're doing today, why we talked about silence last week is because our culture struggles with silence. We localized and contextualized the call of the scriptures into our lives and we said, oh my gosh, we better learn solitude in the 21st century in Montreal because if not, we're gonna completely miss the voice of God tomorrow on Monday when we're at work. So we localized it, we made it, and, and, and that came because I've had conversations with a ton of us, and it's like people are struggling with, hear, with just slowing down, with hearing God's voice, with the distractions in life. I struggle with it. Oh, let's, let's, what does the scripture say about this? Let's make it local. Let's make it contextual. Let's receive it. And so that's a way that the plural you comes together when we let Christ's word dwell among us. But even what we did this morning, we read some psalms, we sang songs together, Paul says, as you teach and admonish, as you have so- sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we, we sang the Lord's Prayer. Some of the words of the, of the songs are the core message of the gospel. We recite scripture, and so we repeat the word of Christ to each other. That's how we dwell in it, together. We dwell in it so we can learn to draw from it, and we do it together. But we also do it personally. It's not just here. And even last week, we talked about silence. We said, hey, 
how are you going to practice this on Monday? How are you going to practice this throughout the week? Because it's not just when we're here together or that we're a community, but it's you personally. Let the message of Jesus dwell in you. And you need to take that personally and say, how is the message of Jesus going to dwell in me so I can draw from it? My dad very likely heard a lot of those songs and scripture in community, but I, there's no doubt in my mind that, he, that some of those things got so planted in his heart because he pressed in personally. And then they became part of that. Here's, Jesus says this. I love this phrase from Jesus, John 15, 7. He says, as you abide in me and my words abide in you. As you abide in me and my words abide in you. I love that. Jesus is, is inviting. There's this image in John 15 of Jesus being the vine and us being the branches. And he says, you need to abide in me, just like a branch abides in a tree. But then he says, as you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Somehow, the way I abide in Jesus is that his words abide in me. The way I'm going to abide in Christ is by his words abiding in me. And that becomes personal. He's speaking to his disciples. As my words abide in you, that every disciple of Jesus needs the words of Jesus dwelling in them. And so that means that's not just receiving like we're a community or repeating like we do in songs, but it's the, these this two other words is reading and reflecting, that we would read and reflect on Scripture. One, one of the words that the Scripture uses for this is meditate. That sounds like an old word, right? And um, Eugene Peterson writes this book called Eat This Book. He's talking about like reading Scripture. You can actually read that phrase in, Revela- in the book of Revelation. But he, he showed me that in the Hebrew, the same word for meditate in the Hebrew is, the, is used in other parts of the Old Testament when a lion is eating up like a bone and he growls. Have you ever, if you have a big dog and you stick a bone to him and, and that dog is like chewing on that bone, you ever hear weird noises like really joyful noises like ooh, like oh, what? I don't like I can't even say it. Anybody want to make that joyful dog noise sound? You know that like kind of like half gulp, half smile, half... The dog is thrilled because the dog is like... Yeah, she's heard the, you've heard the noise? Yeah, she... Okay. So my dog is really small, so I don't really... But I do hear the joyful gulps. I don't know, whatever they are. Because what's happening is they've taken this thing and they put it in, they're eating it, and, and they're sucking every, every taste out of it. So when they have this bone, it's like every... Every place they can find a bit of taste and flavor in that bone, they will get all of it. And there's joy when they do it. They make these weird noises when they do it. And the word in Hebrew is that word, like when a large animal is eating and there's this joyful, like, oh, I just got the best taste from this part of this bone. And that's meditate, to chew on, to really get everything out of it. And so that's what we're called to do I don't mean put saliva on the scriptures or if you're reading from your phone. But what I mean is that there's this joyful like immersion and getting every little bit of taste out of the scriptures. So that means we, we read them long and we read them short. We read broadly and we read deeply. Dallas Willard, I told you I'd quote him today because he has a really cool story when uh, he was in university and he went on to teach philosophy at the University of Southern California but he is a strong follower of Jesus. He now passed away. And he describes this moment when he first got wrapped up 
into immersing himself in the scriptures. And it happened at a laundromat. Because he was on campus uh, when he was doing, I guess, his undergrad or his master's or something. And uh, there was, he said, it was a holiday weekend. Campus was almost empty. I was at a laundromat and uh, all by, almost by myself. And so he had, he had time to spare. So he writes these words. He says, I began by reading the gospel while machines washed my clothes. But that was done in an hour or two. And by that time, I found myself engrossed and drawn into the radiant word of John's account. So he was reading the fourth gospel, John's gospel in the New Testament. I had never experienced anything like it before, he says. I did nothing for the rest of the day but live there in that world, reading, meditating, cross-referencing, and rereading. Truthfully, my world never looked quite the same after that day. I discovered a reality in Jesus and the people and events surrounding him that I had never known before. I was not exactly transformed, I think. Perhaps we use that word far too easily and often. Certain sins were still not eliminated from me, but there was something new at work in me, and I had learned something about how we do change and how we do not. And in particular, I had learned that intensity is crucial for any progress in spiritual perception and understanding. To dribble a few verses or chapters of scripture on oneself throughout the week in church or out will not reorder one's mind and spirit. Just like a drop of water every five minutes will never give you a shower. No matter how long you keep it up, you need a lot of water at once for a sufficiently long time. And the same thing for the word. What an amazing discovery. I, I, man, I pray that for all of us, that we would, we would get so caught up at some moment and say, oh man, I want to be enamored with this. I want to get everything out of this. Something has changed in me because of it. It's so vital. And he, there's some verses, you know, we can read in Psalms, Psalms 1, talking about what it means to meditate on God's word. And here's just, here's just an example of it. Whose delight is the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. I love the description of this person who does this. It's like a person, like a tree planted by streams of water, just constantly connected to a deeper source, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Here's another part of the psalm. I love it. In the next one, it's Psalm 119. says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Here's another psalm. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It's like a root system. It's like when we, get, when we start doing that and we start dwelling in the scriptures, it becomes our root system, like the soil of our lives. And if you know anything about soil or air or water, there are elements that... Just a little bit of soil won't make anything grow. But when the plant is immersed in soil, all of a sudden, it's the whole environment that, ch- that changes that plant. Like, you can just get sprinkled with water, but when you jump in, your whole body's wet. The, the, the makeup of what you feel around your skin is completely different because you've immersed yourself in water. And even air, same thing, it envelops us. And when we think about that, that's the, that's the reality that life is ordered around when we're truly, truly um, immersed in that way. And so think about it this way. Have you ever like chosen, some of you guys are decorating your house or a room. Have you ever chosen a theme? Like, like a rustic theme or a country theme or there's a, kind of a, a fashionable one. I was a Scandinavian theme. I want a Scandinavian theme for my house or whatever, right? So, so if you choose that theme, right? So if you choose the Scandinavian theme, it comes with colors, certain kind of furniture, certain kind of accessories, maybe even certain air, air, fresher air 
fresheners or sand, who knows, you know? Because I bet you that if someone really says this room will be Scandinavian, that when you walk in, you're gonna feel it's Scandinavian. Why? Because the theme has dominated every choice. It's dominated the colors they choose and the furniture they take and the little accessories and the art on the wall, even maybe how they spritz up the air. I don't know. But you walk in and you realize there's a theme dominating this place. You can't get around it. And that's partly what it means to make the word of Jesus dwell in us richly, dwell in us deeply so it becomes the reality in which we order our whole lives around. It's the dominating theme And as the dominating theme, it ends up influencing us and shaping us and changing us and transforming us. So we begin to live the life that God wants for us. It's the source we dwell in. And then it can become the source we draw from. It's the source we dwell in, so it becomes the source we draw from. Here's, I'm going to just post some, some scriptures on the wall because maybe you want to take a picture of it or go back to our website and if, if you want to start this and you really want to immerse yourself in Scripture and you really want to go deep and you really want to say, what are a couple of passages that I could just kind of almost really swim in and immerse myself in? I'd like choose these four or five as the start. That, that if, you, if you really immersed yourself, almost become so familiar with Psalm 23 and Matthew 5 to 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, Romans 8, which is a, a beautiful passage in that letter, uh, Ephesians 1, and this prayer in Ephesians 3, which has dominated Westside's history from the beginning, um, Colossians 1, Colossians 2. Maybe just say, well, where do I start? I, you can't start this with the whole Bible, but you could start it somewhere. You could say, I, you know what, maybe for the next month or two, I'm just going to live in Psalm 23. There was a season in my life, actually, while we were anticipating what was going to happen in our space and getting to this place, I was getting really anxious and I, I committed Psalm 23 to memory again, and I would recite it every night before I went to bed. I just closed my eyes when the lights were off, and I just recited Psalm 23. And that, the, the word, that well, that deep source that I drew from just helped me so deeply. Some of these passages here have shaped our church um, vision to dwell richly. So here's my challenge as we close today. My challenge is that we would immerse ourselves in Scripture that we would take this and knowing that it's the culminating in Jesus's, you know, who Jesus is. And the practice is this, that we would do it communally and personally. That we would say, we're here together on weekends. We come together, we gather as a church community because communally we want to learn, we want to grow, we want to receive, we want to repeat. But then personally, that we would also personally bring this, come to the Lord. Say, I want to read and reflect. I want to get this from me. And here, if you can just put that last slide on the screen, Beth, and just to kind of show what that means. If we, if we could do that. So what's the five plus 10? The five plus 10 is really simple. Last week we said, why don't you add five minutes of silence to your day? Well, what if you, that silence, which is kind of abstaining, kind of like, like cutting out the distractions, that becomes like something you do to disengage and then add 10 minutes of scripture so you can engage. You disengage with silence, you engage with scripture. Five minutes of silence, 10 minutes of scripture. Now the disengagement and the engagement work together. You're making room for God's voice in your life, and then you welcome his voice in through scripture. Next week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and how he works in us. But this week, we just add that, five plus 10. 
And let me, let me close with this as we wrap up in prayer. My dad, going back to the story I started with, would not have gotten through one of the most difficult seasons of his life if he did not have the source of scripture to draw from. There's no doubt in my mind that what he went through, the physical pain, the emotional difficulty, the, the, the wrestling, and even, even sometimes the doubts that would have hit him because of what he was walking through, there's no doubt in my mind that he could not have walked through that without the deep source of scripture in his life. In fact, because of scripture, that season of his life became an example of courageous strength and resilience and hope, and he became an instrument in God's hand. I think without it, he would have been another sick person, he would have been another person who was debilitated by his suffering because he suffered. It's not that he, God, God didn't heal him. He was still sick. He was still suffering. But he would have been another person who was weakened by his circumstances, consumed by his pain, and not experienced God through it. But because he dwelled on this source of scripture, he was able to draw from it and something beautiful happened. Not only did he walk with God through it, he experienced God through it, and God actually used him as an instrument to be a blessing to others. And that's what happens as we grow from deeper wells. It's for us, but then it turns into being for others too. They see, they notice, they get something from that, and God uses us to even be a source of strength for them. That's part of our calling. Let's stand and pray. God, I know that some of us, many, maybe many of us in this room, even myself, long and ache for really a deeper source to live from. And even some that have been following Jesus for years, we admit that we have not in, 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 in some ways dwelt upon your word, the message of Christ with an intensity that it will enable us to really draw from it. God, we long for that. We ache for that. And we know that there's moments of our day and of our week and of our life or seasons, whether it's obstacles or roadblocks or the struggle in our own heart or the circumstances around us where we recognize in those moments that we are drawing from a shallow well. But God, we do not want to be those kinds of people and we don't want to be those kinds of Christ followers because you have offered us a deep well to draw from. Help us to dwell on it so we can draw from it. We pray this, God, in Christ's name. And may we do that communally, as we gather together on Sundays and in the other environments and through our relationships. And may we do that personally. We read and reflect. God, enable us even this week to see that we can, may, may there just nothing stand in the way of even the simple five minutes of silence and 10 minutes of scripture. Again, this week we ask you empower us to disengage and make room for your voice and engage the scriptures to start hearing your voice. In Christ's name we pray. Everything points to him. Amen.